I study food as medicine. And, and yeah. to me, it's, a, it's, it's really so fun to discover new properties of, of, <clears throat> of foods. And for me, you know, like we started out talking about the fact that people feel uh, shackled by the burden of excess weight or metabolism or diets that they have to go on and, and rotate on or rotate off of. You know, I actually think that science tells us it's time to rediscover the joy of eating. Mm-hmm. Totally. And just by choosing the right food and eating in the right ways, we can actually claim, reclaim our life back and mm-hmm. also combine it with enjoyment because, you know, we're humans eating and enjoying our food is really part of who we are. Yes. And I think we've gotten away from that and just turned into sort of, you know, get gotten into these sort of instruction sheets and automatons and we've, we've taken that away from ourselves. So it's time to actually take it back. Hey, this is Chad Namiro. And I'm Kelly Namiro. Welcome to the Balancing Chaos podcast. A lifestyle podcast where we will interview guests about wellness, business, and just about everything in between. Our goal is to help you develop a lifestyle that promotes health, wholeness, and success. Through our conversations, we hope to inspire you to live a beautiful, full, and joyful life as you navigate balancing the chaos. We hope you enjoy. Today on the show, we are sitting down with Dr. William Lee. Dr. William Lee is an internationally renowned physician, scientist, and author of the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. His groundbreaking research has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments that impact care for more than 70 diseases, including diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. And in his TED Talk, Can We Eat to Star Cancer?, he has garnered more than 11 million million views. His the president of the and medical doctor for the Angiogenesis Foundation and is leading global initiatives on food and medicine in his newest book, Eat to Beat Your diet, burn fat, heal your metabolism and live longer. He talks all about metabolic health, which is what I know our listeners want to hear most about. So today we're going to talk about harmful fat, improving your metabolism and living longer. I think one of the things that people have so many questions about is this idea of inflammation and how inflammation is stored in fat and all of this different um, stuff, how that impacts our metabolism. So let's start there, Dr. Lee. What what are the biggest misconceptions you hear about the metabolism? Right. Well, you know, my new book is called Eat to Beat Your Diet. And it's a trick title because it's not a diet book. It's an anti-diet book. And that's really how I get into metabolism. Yeah. And the reason I, 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 I made that title is because so many of us, struggle with this idea that we got to be on a diet in order to have a better metabolism or that we're cursed with the metabolism because we've got too much body fat. And, you know, this is a society obsessed with weight loss and fads. Look, everyone's confused. And I'm a doctor. I I trained as an MD. I can tell you that even I was confused about metabolism. Uh, And so I wrote a book really to say, what is the new science of the metabolism? What does it really teach us what human metabolism is like, what's the connection of fat? I mean, you know, is fat really as bad as we think it is? And also food. Is eating food categorically going to cause us to gain weight and screw up our metabolism? You know, like what's the truth behind all this? And then how do you put it all together? So let's start with a couple of myths about metabolism. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So um, Kelly and Chad, uh, tell me if you heard this before. People are either born with a slow metabolism or a fast metabolism, which is why they have to struggle with their weight. 
and they're oh, still yeah. with the vet food. Of course. Right? I feel like so many people say it's it's genetic, right? That, yeah. That's what everyone told me yeah. my whole life. I've actually always been pretty skinny and I've actually struggled to like put on weight when I wanted to, when I was in high school, et cetera. And everyone always said to me, that's just because you have a fast metabolism. So yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, guess what? That's actually not true. It turns out the latest research shows that we are all born with the exact same metabolism. Let me explain. So um, uh, our metabolism is like the operating system of your laptop. So if you guys were to go to the computer store and I were to go to the computer store, we bought the exact same model of a laptop, plugged it in, you where you are, me where I am, booted it up, and the operating system would turn it on. It would operate exactly the same way out of the box. And it turns out that's how human metabolism is wired. Makes a lot of sense, right? Your heart is designed to beat. We're all, our hearts are designed to beat in a certain way. Our brains are designed to work in a certain way. Why would we suddenly be you know, given a roll of the dice and have a fast or slow metabolism? So let me tell you how we figured this out. And then it's going to lead to some other jaw droppers about <laughs> myths of metabolism that I'll tell you that, that, that like when I, my jaw dropped when I learned uh, what the truth is. Okay. So there was a study that was done and it was published less than two years ago. So this is smoking hot research. Yeah. In fact, most doctors haven't even heard about this yet. I'm a researcher. So I actually see this stuff all the time in which is a landmark study involving 6,000 people over 20 countries massive research study involving 90 scientists coming together, all right? And what they did is they studied 6,000 people from 20 countries in exactly the same way. That's why it's so groundbreaking because they gave everybody a little drink of water. Water, as you know, is H2O. Mm -hmm. H stands for hydrogen. O stands for oxygen. What the researchers did, they tweaked the hydrogen, tweaked the oxygen. And so when they gave it to people to drink, the metabolism processed the atoms, the hydrogen and oxygen, so you could measure with the metabolism in the breath, in the blood, oh. or even in the urine, all right? So this is the largest, most ambitious study ever done because the people they test, they studied, the six, among the 6,000 people, they studied people that were two days old, newborns, and also studied people at the end of life, 90 plus years old, and everyone in between, all right? And here's what they found. They found when they first looked at metabolism, it was all over the map, just like you'd expect. Aha, just what I thought it would be, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. What they did, because we, we now live in this world of supercomputing, right? So we can crunch a lot of data mm -hmm. using, you know, basically stuffing it into a home office. What they did is it developed an algorithm, okay, that would actually look, look into this data of 6,000 people and remove the impact the effect of excess body fat. In other words, it corrected for every individual in the study what, ex what excess body fat is. So they removed it. And when they removed the effect of excess body fat, here's what they found. Every single person born with the exact same metabolism out of the box were all the same, okay? And they found that people go through four, humans go through four phases of metabolism over the course of our life and only four. So here's phase one, zero to one year old, metabolism goes up like a rocket, okay? So that when you're one, your metabolism is 50% higher than what it's gonna be when you're an adult, that's phase one. Phase two is um, from age one to 20, so it's right through teenage years. 
metabolism goes from its its height goes down, 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 down to adult levels. Now, why is that surprising? Because anybody who's ever seen a teenager, and we were all teenagers before. Hoover food. You're, <laughs> you're hoovering food, eating two or three dinners, bouncing off the walls, growing tall, right? And right. you're like, man, that metabolism must be going through the roof. Okay. Yeah. Is that right? Wrong. It turns out metabolism is coming down to adult levels. Mm-hmm. All right. And what it shows you is that you just can't uh, assume based on what people are telling you that what you what you're what you're told is actually right. true, what you think might be true. You need the data. Now, here's the next part. Before I talk about phase three, how many of you heard? I mean, both of you guys, I'm sure you have. And we've all heard that metabolism, what happens during middle age, the metabolism? especially when slows. Slows down. Especially for women. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right? So everyone assumes that when you reach your 40s or 50s, you're going to start changing your shape. Mm-hmm. You're going to start gaining extra body fat. And your metabolism is going to change. Right? So enter phase three. This is the mic drop finding for the study. When they looked at how humans metabolize, in phase three, from age 20 to 60, mm-hmm. human metabolism is hardwired to be rock stable. It does not change. Out of the box, our operating system is completely supposed to be stable. Now, obviously, it does change in people because we see people struggling with it all the time. Yeah. I'm gonna come back to why I'm gonna come back to why that happens. Okay? <laughs> that was now, gonna be my next question. <laughs> now, now, now phase four. Uh, is that at the very end, from 60 to 90, your metabolism, our metabolisms do decrease a little bit by about 17%. So by the time you're 90, it'll be 17% lower than what it was at 60, which is what it is at 20. Now, what I just told you about phase stage three is that metabolism in middle age, or your entire our entire adult lives, 20 to 60, is rock stable, right? So if you were to follow our your hardwired human metabolism, 60 can be the new 20 if you allow the metabolism to do its thing. So what happens? Why do we actually struggle in middle age with our yeah. metabolism? It's called life. Life happens to <laughs> us. All right. Your metabolism is the same. But what happens when we get to our 40s and 50s, okay, and above, mm-hmm. that's the time where we've got stress. We got job stress. We got real estate stress. We got family stress. We got economic stress. We've got political stress, world stress, climate change stress. And what happens is that our behaviors start to be a little bit less on the ball than we wish. You get a little distracted. Now you're not exercising the same way. You get a little more distracted and now you're, you're, get, you're stressed out and you're not sleeping as well. You're not sleeping as well. It's easier to make poor decisions the next day. Right. All right. Uh, and so all these things uh, start to, to pile up. You got kids. And now you're actually chasing your kids all day long, or you're worried about their high school applications or college applications. Now you're not doing, you're not able to be on the ball like you were when you were 20s or your teens. So what happens is that with all those decisions, oh, one more thing that happens uh, when life happens, we tend to fall more prey to the marketing tactics of food manufacturers. Right. Right. Using food as like comfort where you're like having all these processed things. Um, did, did those types of foods like that are marketed towards you versus the whole real foods impact the rate of metabolism as well? What Here's what happens. They cause us to gain body fat, mm. excess body fat. Now, what happens, they, you know, first of all, artificial preservatives, colorings, and flavorings, which are present in most of the stuff that you would get, oh, let's say at an airport newsstand, 
you yeah. know, most of that stuff, um, or in the middle aisle of a grocery store, although not exclusively, um, all those things contain substances that um, uh, cause our gut microbiome, our gut health to actually go off rail. Mm. When our gut health goes off rail, our lipids, our cholesterol starts to go off handle and our metabolism starts to go off handle and we start to grow body fat. Now, when we grow body fat, remember what I told you with this research study, they remove the effect of excess body fat mm. to find out what true human metabolism is. Now, when they started to throw body fat back into the equation, you know what it did to that rock stable metabolism? It shut it down. It's not that a slow metabolism causes you to gain fat and gain weight. It's the other way around. Yeah. Excess body fat slows your metabolism. So when life happens mm. in our middle ages, we do things that allow extra body fat to grow down. And that slows down our metabolism. That's actually what happens. But And so that sounds like, oh, man, like that's a that's a real bummer. I can tell you better than being genetically cursed, number one. Mm -hmm. yeah. And number two, because we have the agency to change our decisions yeah. in our yeah. lives, especially food. We got the power and that power is to be able to choose foods that can actually burn body fat. And this is actually where I go with my book. I take you on a tour of the grocery store, imagining like Kelly, you are sitting in my grocery cart yeah, like you did when you were a kid in your mom's grocery cart. And I push you around and I whisper in your ear all the things you should be plucking off the, the displays to put into the cart that can help fight body fat and help re release kind of reveal your inner metabolism. And that's basically, you know, uh, uh, Chad, so when you talk about like, oh man, like I always had difficulty gaining weight. Here's here's the thing that you could, you could do, which is that you can choose certain foods that actually can redirect your um, uh, muscle growth. So you want to gain more muscle weight. Yes, uh, you want to gain extra fat. <laughs> you want to gain more muscle weight. Right. Okay, and so there are ways of actually believe it or not, you know, growing stem, using your stem cells to mm. actually try to populate your muscle, to regenerate your muscles. You want to gain more muscle weight, not fat weight. All right. Yeah. So that's a very important thing. You want more muscle, less fat at any stage in your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that more muscle, less fat is going to be what I've, you know, as a, a health coach and I'm nowhere near your level, but what I, what I can understand is that like, it basically the muscle is going to burn through more calories than the fat will. Uh, yes and no. I mean, okay. the key thing about muscle mm -hmm. is that mu the muscle mass supports most of the other health defenses in our body. Mm -hmm. It's uh, necessary to have more muscle to have better circulation because blood vessels run through your muscle. You need to have basically earth to put a highway on right. uh, or to put a road on. And our, our circulation are, run, are really the highways and byways of our body. So you need to be able to have good soil in order to be able to lay pavement on. Got it. And that's one of the reasons why that is. The second thing is that muscle mass gives us agility, uh, gives us strength, gives us endurance. And muscle itself is a, is a, is a hormone-producing factory. Right. And so that's why it's also important. The, 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 the flip side is that excess body fat is a fuel tank. So yeah. a little bit of fat is always good for you. I deal with a lot of clients who come to me and like their main goal is, is weight loss. Like that's what they want. Um, and they 
have been on all of these yo-yo diets and they're like, oh, well, because I've done this dieting thing for so many years, I've slowed my metabolism down. So can you talk about like, can you come back from that? Or is that even a true thing? And also why is a little bit of body fat a good thing? Let's first unpack our reaction to fat, right? So yeah. listen, I don't care what size you are. All of us have experienced this at some point in our lives, right? You take a shower, you step out of the shower, out of the corner <laughs> of your eye, you look in the mirror and you see something, a little lump or a bump that, you know, like you're not happy with, right. all right? Usually it's not a big deal, but you know, some people really pay a lot of attention to it and immediately you start cursing. Mm. Damn, I, I got to get in better shape or I got to eat better. And then what do you do? The next thing you do when you see that, you step on a scale. Mm. And if that number isn't the exact number you are hoping for, it's a disappointment. And so now you've associated what you see in the mirror with a number on the scale, and then you start cursing yourself. And so from the right from the get-go, like our adult um, association of body fat is form, uh, weight. And then, by the way, even if you go to the grocery store, right, and you're wheeling, I, I don't care if you're a vegan or not, but if you wheel by the, the butcher counter, okay, the butcher section, and you see a nice steak uh, with a big rind of fat, like you stare at that, you'll go, ugh, I, yeah. I, I, don't, want, I don't want that, right? So we have totally. this visceral, we have yeah. a visceral reaction to fat, right? Now, here's the thing. Let me take you back in time to the fact that we were babies. When we were babies, we made our moms and dads and relatives smile because we were pudgy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. baby fat is... Beautiful and delicious, right? What do you got a little baby? You got a little pot belly, you got yeah. chubby cheeks, you got arms and legs that look like a circus balloon, you know, the ones that the clowns make a dog yeah. out of poodle yeah. out of balloons. All right. So so you gotta think about it. Like body fat can't be one hundred percent bad if a baby has it. So what I did, I tracked body fat back to its origins to try to figure out why the heck do we even have fat at all? Mm. All right. Now here's the thing. It's amazing. When your mom's egg met your dad's sperm and you became a ball of cells, it's going to be the future you. The first cells that get laid down, the first tissue that was made was your circulation because every organ is going to need some blood flow. So it's got to have that. Second tissue gets laid down are nerves. Mm -hmm. Nerves are like the electrical wiring in your body and every organ needs instructions, signals later on. can make sense. Third tissue gets laid down is body fat. Oh, wow. Now, body fat starts like a roll of bubble wrap. You know, mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the, 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 the yeah. plastic wrap mm has -hmm. got little bubbles for packing. Okay. Now each, when you're, when you're born and when you're little, uh, the fat forms like a sheet of bubble wrap and they get wrapped around blood vessels. Okay. Wait a minute. Why is that happening? Because every little bubble in the bubble wrap is a fat cell and that little fat cell is a storage tank for fuel that we ultimately get from the food that we eat. And where does that food and that fuel go? Into our bloodstream. So if you want to actually store up your fuel tank, you want to actually put it right next to where you're going to be able to get the fuel, right? which is out of your bloodstream. So the bubble wrap puts the fuel tanks right next to the bloodstream. And, um, uh, and then we're born. We get all the fat we need. All right. And, and then what happens is that when we eat food, when we eat food, um, insulin rises in our body made by our pancreas and since a hormone draws in the energy from food like blood sugar. So it gives us energy. Any excess that we don't need right away gets stored in the fuel tank. All right. That's how our metabolism works. Our metabolism is like driving a car. You don't think about it 
the fact that there's gasoline going to the engine and powering the engine if you drive a gas car. But the, the thing is that you do keep your eye on the fuel gauge. When the fuel gauge goes towards empty, what do you do? We all, we pull over to the filling station, take out the pump nozzle, put it into the tank, fill it right up, take the nozzle out and go on our way, right? Mm -hmm. So when we eat food, it's exactly what we're doing. We are eating food. We are putting fuel into our body. Insulin is using the fuel for whatever we need at the moment. Anything extra goes into the fuel tank. Our fat cells, the ones that started as bubble wrap, actually are our fuel tanks. Now, here's how it works. Now, if you if you if you are um, eating food with extra fuel, um, uh, you'll put it in a tank. If you keep on eating and you overeat, you're gonna your body's gonna stuff another fuel tank, another fat cell. Every fat cell, by the way, can grow a hundred times its size. It stretches. Okay. Oh, still eating? All right, let's fill up another one. Yeah. Oh, still more food? Let's fill up another one over and over. By the way, when you run out of fat cells, this is a myth that you basically are born with all the fat cells you ever have. We used to think that. It's not true. When you run out of fat cells because you've eaten so much, you've stuffed all your fat cells, your, our bodies can tap into stem cells to say, oh, still more food? We've out of fat. Let's go make another round of fat. Wow. So it just makes and clones another fat cell. Let's fill that. Oh, we need another one? Sure. And so you can see how, how fat builds simply by overeating. Now, just like the fuel in your car, Imagine if you, um, you know, when you fill up your tank, you know how when the tank is full, it go click and that's it. No more gas comes out, mm -hmm. right? If you didn't have that click and fuel kept on rushing out of what would actually happen? I can tell you that what would happen is that the gas would come out of your car, run down the side of your car, around the tires, pool around your feet. And what would you be doing? We'd all be standing in the middle of a toxic, flammable, dangerous mess. Now, we don't have a clicker in our body. We can keep eating. We can keep eating. And when we actually overload our fat cells, our fuel tanks, I don't yeah. want to think about calories. I just want to think fuel tanks for a second. Okay. Overload our fuel tanks. What happens is that the, the, the growing fat becomes necrotic or dead in the center because it doesn't have enough blood supply, becomes really inflamed. That inflammation leaks out of the fat, spreads throughout your body. Okay. It's, it's very dangerous. It's just like, yeah. it's a disease, right? Now, one more thing, just like the gas tank, if you overstuff your fat capacity, fat will leak out of the tank and it goes right to the liver and it'll poison the liver. It's called lipotoxicity. And that is the cause of a silent epidemic called non-alcoholic fatty liver. liver disease. All right. That is overflow tanks. And, and instead of standing in a puddle of gasoline, it's all going to our liver and poisoning our liver. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is, by the way, is the excess of food, but we actually want to eat normally. Right. And this is where the quality of the fuel matters. So you go to the filling station, you guys. And I'm like, I loan you my car and I say, Hey, just make sure that you keep the tank filled. You know, like you go, Oh man, I want to make sure his, his car is well taken care of. So you get to put high quality tank gas in my car. All right. Just like you would do for your own car. Now, if you were to put low quality fuel into my car, I won't notice. It'll be fine. But if I had that bad habit of putting low quality fuel in my car every single day for years, my car is not going to run very long. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing about the quality of the fuel or the quality of the food that right. we put into your system. Now you can see quality of food, quantity of food, quality of the food that we eat, the quantity of the fuel 
of the food that we eat can all make a difference in terms of how our body works right. and how we get energy for our metabolism. So if somebody was doing that, like, cause I, like I said, I think for me, I know that like back in the day, um, when I actually had an eating disorder. So like I was under eating a lot and I have a lot of clients who will do like yo-yo diets where they're not eating enough. If, is that, is it possible to slow your metabolism that way? Cause I know you're saying like, if you're eating too much and you have this fat, that's going to slow it. But if you're not eating enough, can that slow your metabolism too? Well, it depends on where you, where you are in the cycle, right? Cycling, right. weight cycling is actually not good for you because you're going from inflamed to not, maybe not so inflamed, then inflamed again. And what yeah. happens is you knock your system off balance. Like what we want, what good health is, is an equilibrium. We want to be in as much of a state of balance as we can. A little bit of wiggle is okay, but we don't want to be going up and down huge right. waves, riding the waves, okay? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize that our body is this remarkable engine that tries to seek balance whenever it can. Mm -hmm. All right. So if you, no matter where you are in your health journey and what kind of weight issues you may or may not be dealing with or your, or your, or your diet, what kind of fad diets or extreme diets you might've been on. If you actually go back down to what your body wants to do mm -hmm. and allow your own inner machinery, your operating system to do what it wants to do. You know, it's kind of like, look, um, when you, if, you're, if your laptop is starting to fritz, you know, what you want to do is you want to run an antivirus program on it. You know, you might need to reload your, your operating system, but what you don't want to be doing is just adding more things, putting more apps onto your system, all right? And, and that, that actually kind of keeps the thing off balance. So here's what I always tell people is a reasonable way to do a true reset, because people talk about resets all the time. When I think about reset, I don't, I don't think about like purges or cleansing. Yeah. I think about, look, um, here's what we want to do. We want to actually let our body equilibrate uh, and, and get back to its normal. How do we do this? Well, the simplest way is to start with what you, uh, uh, when you eat and how you eat. Mm. All right. We're going to talk about what you eat in a second, but I tell people to take a food, do a food journal to write down whenever it is they sit down to eat food or eat, put food in their mouth, how much they eat, what it is and how much they actually eat uh, and, and re record the time. And here's what it is. When your insulin is rising, which means that when you're eating, mm -hmm. all right, your body is focused on drawing fuel into your cells and not on burning fuel. When you're not eating, insulin goes down. And when your insulin is down, suddenly your body, your metabolism switches gears and says, all right, let's go for fuel burning. Let's burn off all that stuff yeah. that's stored in the, in the fat. Okay. Right. Now, and, and people talk about intermittent fasting in this way, but I'll tell you, we all do intermittent fasting. It's not some crazy fad. Um, when we're sleeping, we're not Sleep. eating. When we're not eating, we're fasting. Okay. But here's the reason, here's the underlying reason that I sort of want to do a, a, a reframe people's thinking. When we're eat, actually sleeping and we're not, we're not eating, uh, our insulin levels go down. No need for insulin because you're not eating food. When our insulin levels go down, metabolism switches gears to burn fat. So I tell you, if you can actually, the medical research shows, if you try to get eight hours of sleep, mm. it's a lot of good things that eight, eight hours of sleep does. It reboots your immune system, helps to drain your brain of toxins. But most, perhaps most importantly for the clients that you were talking about, Kelly, uh, in those eight hours, 
their body is switching to fat burning mode. Right. Now it might it might take more than one night if they've been accumulating all this stuff over Time. days, weeks, or years. Right. Okay. Decades. But the thing is that that's actually what happens. The way to maximize, optimize, increase your fat burning period, it's very natural. You do it by not eating after supper. So I mean, a lot of people will stack after dinner all night long. Oh, okay? yeah. Sit down, watch some TV, put a bowl of whatever, <laughs> eat it. Oh, how about a midnight snack before I go to bed? Let yep. me tell you, when you actually snack after dinner, your insulin goes up and it makes it harder for you to burn. So if you want extra time, all right, this is sort of like, you want to actually, you know, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. You want to gain a little bit more fat burning time, fuel burning time. Okay, how do you do this? I always say, okay, let's say I eat dinner at seven o'clock and I put my dishes away at eight o'clock. All right, I'm not talking about a European dinner where you're eating like for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but I'm like, smoking. but and smoke exactly. <laughs> so, so you're so you uh, so you eat so you eat dinner at seven. Put your dishes away at eight. Now you're done eating. Because you put your dishes away, no more eating. Let's say you go to bed at 11 and you sleep for eight hours and get up at seven. And I'm giving you like an ideal right. ideal time as examples. If you stop eating at eight o'clock because your dishes are put away, no nothing else, you go to bed at 11, that's three hours of low insulin fuel burning time. All right. Add that on to the eight hours you're going to sleep. Three plus eight is 11. And then here's what I do. When I get up in the morning, I don't do what my mom trained me to do when I was a kid, which is hurry up, get up, <laughs> eat some breakfast, eat some breakfast, get on that school bus to get to school in time, right? I get up, I take my time getting ready, take a shower, get dressed, I'll go for a walk, I'll check my emails, I'll read a book or I'll <laughs> something, catch up with the news. About an hour after I wake up is before I put anything in my mouth. I might have some coffee, I might have some tea, whatever, but liquid doesn't count right. if it doesn't have any calories to it. Okay, now think, do, let's do the math. Dishes away, three hours of time to fat burning. Sleep, eight hours. Three plus eight, 11 hours. One more. Wait, wait for an hour, or then one extra hour, 12 hours. I've just spent half my day with my metabolism in fuel burning mode. So this is what I always tell people. When you get started, okay, on trying to let your metabolism do its thing, try to regain equilibrium, the first thing to do, don't eat after dinner, Wait for a little time after you um, uh, get up in the morning before you eat and count the number of hours that you're actually going to be in fuel and fat burning mode. Right. When you actually ask people to really uh, be honest with how much time they're actually spending eating, it's shocking. It is. People are snacking all day long. Most people I are. And I think that that, like, that really simplifies it for people too, the way you're putting it. Cause it's like, it's like, it's, 12 hours, you're still getting all three meals of the day. It's yep. not calorie yep. restrictive at all. You're having breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it, it really does simplify. It's just like, don't sit there and eat popcorn until 11 o'clock at it's, night. It's contrary to what like I've been taught to when you're in high school, totally. you're lifting weights, they teach you to eat all the time. And then you've probably read it or seen it or heard of it. But I recently read a, a research paper that was saying there's pretty good evidence to show there's more longevity for people who space their meals uh, out oh, yeah. by by at least four and a half hours. So yeah. let me let me give you the reason behind that the the yeah. why. Okay, so remember we're talking about insulin. Whenever you put food in your mouth, your pancreas goes, "All right, I'm going to squirt some more insulin out because we got to get some of that fuel in." Mm -hmm. All right? right, it's super simple. It's like that dude that the gas station used to come out with the cap. To help you put the gas in your in your car, <laughs> yeah. All right, that that's 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 insulin. All right. <laughs> so um, if you're eating all day long, 
that insulin dude's coming oh, out all God. the time. Right. All right. Mm-hmm. And when your insulin levels are up, here's something that a lot of people um, don't know, but I'm, because I'm a, I'm a, a medical researcher, I, I can share this insight with you. To make insulin in your body, the cells, your pancreas uses a substance called insulin growth factor, IGF-1, insulin growth factor 1. It's like a fertilizer for insulin, okay? Mm. It's like starter material for insulin. It's like a cake batter for insulin, all right? You need it to make insulin. The more insulin you have, the more IGF-1 your body has to make, have insulin. More insulin, more food, continuous eating, more IGF-1. And here's the, here's really kind of like the, the secret behind the curtain. Insulin-like growth factor, when it's up all the time, because you're eating all the time, or when you have a, a lot of body fat and now you're insulin insensitive, you've got metabolic syndrome, you're heading towards diabetes, your insulin just keeps on piling up because it's not working. IGF, insulin growth factor going up all the time. Insulin-like growth factor is an underlying trigger for inflammation, it provokes cancer growth. It makes cancer cells go, boom. It's like fertilizer for cancer cells. Mm-hmm. A little bit, no problem. When it's out all the time, it is like gasoline for tumors. All right. It makes okay. them really want to race and grow. The other thing that actually happens is that it actually provokes blood vessels to grow into tumors. Oh, wow. Now, a, a cancer is harmless until it's got a blood supply. The moment a, a tumor, and I, 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 this is my area of research. I'm a cancer researcher as well. The moment a blood, if you take a tumor, cancer cells, and you prevent blood vessels from ever getting to it, it can't grow up. It can only grow to the size of the tip of a ballpoint pen, like mm-hmm. the one you're holding right in your hand, Chad. Um, <laughs> and, and that's it. Okay. Uh, it can't get any bigger. It doesn't have a blood supply. But in the lab, when we allow blood vessels to touch, grow up and touch the tip of that pen and give it oxygen and give it nutrients, because tumors also need to feed, guess what? a microscopic cancer that has a blood supply will grow 16,000 times in two weeks in time. Wow. It is a trigger for cancer growth. IGF-1, up all the time, not a good thing. Put a little context uh, behind the fact that you just said, Chad, when you actually space out your eating, insulin goes, isn't quite so high, IGF levels are going down, you've got a much better chance of living a longer life without causing all these other problems. I remember a time in my life when springtime would hit and immediately I would be searching for a new trainer or Googling all of the seven day juice cleanse, 14 day detoxes so that I could get myself in shape for summer. And what I didn't realize at this time was that all of that was a complete waste of my time, of my energy, my resources. And I look back on that, just wishing for those hours and all of that energy and brain power back. The decisions that I was making for my body were coming from a place of punishment rather than from a place of love. And it wasn't until I started meditating and I started doing the work, the real work on myself that I recognized that I needed to nourish my body with both movement and food and mindset work if I ever wanted my body to love me back in a sustainable way. And that's why the WBK membership that I release meditations where I deeply connect you with yourself and 
blood sugar balancing recipes to nourish you on a cellular level and low impact movement to support the delicate balance of your hormones really gets you the results that you're looking for, where it starts to become a lifestyle. It starts to become who you are. I can tell you firsthand that both myself and my members, my private clients, all of us have seen the most incredible results from the WBK method. It's so different than your typical diet and a restrictive approach that we're taught from diet culture from a very early age. As a 33-year-old mom of two, this is the leanest I've ever been, the most energy that I've ever had, and the best that I have ever felt in my freaking body. And it can be that way for you too. So right now with the code balancing chaos, all one word, B-A-L-A-N-C-I-N-G-C-H-A-O-S, you can get 10% off your annual membership for the WBK method and get new weekly content, plus a library of hundreds of workouts, recipes, meditations with a seven day reset and a 30 day challenge all to get you started. So use the code balancing chaos, again, all one word, to start your seven day free trial and see when you love your body back, how your body starts to love you. I know in your book, you talk a lot about longevity too. So this is kind of like, it, it really impacts not just how much body fat we're carrying around or like our energy levels, but it, it, it does impact like the rate of disease in our body. Oh my, my gosh, absolutely. I, I want to come back to this whole concept of the quality of your fuel matters. So once you've adjusted your eating time and, you know, you get those 12 hours a day, whatever, and like three meals you, a day, that's what you subscribe to. Sure. And... Three meals a day is fine. But, but if you want to skip, you want to be a little more intense, you know, like this whole idea of 16, eight intermittent fasting, that's you, what know, you want to go, you want to go with 16. If you can do it and you can maintain it, go for it. Do you think right? that because that raises cortisol on the body? It can, if you're, if it stresses you out, which okay. may or may not be a good thing. Everyone's going to respond a little bit different, but by the way, Here's something that I learned um, about 16 and eight. Um, obviously, if you're not eating for 16 hours, your metabolism is shifting into more fat burning mode for 16 hours instead of 12. 12 works, by the way, in, in human studies, 12 is perfectly fine. 16, you get a little more bang out of your buck, but you're also, uh, you're also reaching a little bit harder mm -hmm. as well for that gain. But so I, I'm this researcher, I'm like, who the heck said 16? Why not 17? Why not 15? Right. <laughs> Who came up with that magic number 16? Well, here's, here, here's, the, here's the reality. This research came out of a study out of Stanford in mice. Oh. Okay. Where they studied 16 and 8 in mice. All right. They fed <laughs> mice for eight hours and then they fasted them for 16, which means they had to pick out the little kibble out of the mice, mouse, mouse um, cages. All right. Now, for somebody to actually do that experiment, usually a grad student, in this case, a graduate student, they had to stay pretty much all day long to start picking out food and measuring the mice, making sure they weren't eating. So the 16 and eight came from an agreement between the grad student and her significant other saying that she could not spend all of her time in the lab doing this experiment. <laughs> and so, to, to, you know, you, look, you guys talk about relationships. Look, uh, to balance a relationship out, they had a deal. It'd be 16 and eight handshake. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And that, and that's how that hour period was born. Wow. So it's very not, so not, not scientific. scientific at all. That's too <laughs> funny. 
what does my dad always say in the morning? Eat like I don't forget the face, but basically eat small, lightest to heaviest, lightest to heaviest, starting in the morning. Is is that um, not matter? Does that you, matter? You know, I think it could make a small difference mm. uh, because you know you're kind of letting your body warm up over the course of the day in terms of what it's going to do and digest and everything. I don't think if you were to take a look at the big picture, it matters that much. Mm-hmm. It might give you some small percentage points, but probably the bigger issue is keeping the volume of food yeah. under control. So the quality of the food matters, quality yeah. of fuel. And I think the volume of the food yeah. also matters. One of the things, by the way, I always tell people, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys probably were exposed to this when you were kids as well. I had a lunch lady uh, and, and my mom that basically always said, you got to clean your plate. Oh, you yeah. get your plate, of course. Clean it up. There's people starving in. Add your insert your favorite country, right? right? And of and the fact of the matter is, most of the time, we're not. Um, somebody else put that food in our plate. If you're at a restaurant, mm-hmm. who told who told them to pile it that high? Right. All right. Um, uh, and then you know when we're actually at a family meal or something, and you know like Thanksgiving time, you can't wait to. Eat and you get to you get to the to the meal and, and all that great food that you're used to, or some holiday. You just start piling piling okay. the food on. You're eating and talking, right? And then the 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 first the first tranche of food you eat, you really enjoy it. The, this you put put more food on your plate, and you know all it takes is one or two more bites, and all of a sudden your brain knows like, oh man, I don't feel so good anymore. Yeah, right. And and that's where our, there's a tipping point. So I always tell people number one, quit. The clean plate club. Yes. Right? There's a little there's a little history behind that too, by the way. I'll tell you in a second about <laughs> where where the heck did this clean plate club thing come from? This is I, like I'm always curious, like, man, who's telling me to do this? And what's the reason? And Why? where the heck did that come from to begin with? Well, the clean plate club, by the way, came from World War One, where there wasn't enough food to feed people because the food had to be sent to soldiers. Mm. All right. So they're like, whatever the point wasn't to clean your plate, lick your plate clean like a cat. The point was just to be conscious that you're we're actually needing to ration our food. Right. Got ba- got brought back in World War II, um, same kind of idea, and somehow it just got twisted in this idea. Like and you, it, the meaning was, please don't overtake, don't, please don't uh, gorge on food, save enough for everyone else. But somehow, Clean Plate Club got translated into, go ahead and take a lot and make sure you eat it all too. Yeah. Right. So got to quit that because that's the <laughs> easiest way to overload your fuel tank. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. Everyone does it with their kids it's, too. It's, it really does start there. It does. Finish your broccoli. And then classic. Yeah. One of the things that you have talked about, obviously, is the hormone insulin um, and how mm. that plays a role in, you know, the, the reason why over time people might gain weight. There are other hormones like that I see when I think about the women that I work with, like uh, thyroid and cortisol um, that may cause us to gain weight as, again, like as we age. Can you talk about why those hormones may go out of whack and why they would have an effect on the metabolism? All right. First of all, hormones are very complicated because they, they, they work like a loom if you're trying to knit a like a knit a sweater or make a very complicated blanket, it's got all kinds of patterns to it, and you know you gotta your body knows how to actually sort it all out. So the right hormones be at the right time, which affects another hormone. It has to be at the right time. The moment you actually kind of 
knock it slightly off kilter, uh, you know, everything kind of goes awry. Um, the, the, the hormones you're referring to, thyroid and cortisol, mm -hmm. happen to be made by the, uh, uh, the, by the thyroid, which is an endocrine organ, made by the pituitary. And some of it can, you can also make some, by, from, it's also affected by the adrenal gland, sits mm -hmm. on top of your kidney. Without going into the, all the complicated anatomy and science, let me just say, that both thyroid and thyroid hormone and cortisol influence your behavior. Mm. Thyroid makes you jittery, makes you more anxious. If you have too much of it, if you don't have enough, you're sluggish and you're slow and your brain, you got some brain fog. Cortisol, when you got the right amount of cortisol, you are ready to rock. You know, like cortisol is actually kind of a stress hormone. Uh, you know, weirdly, when you have too much of the stress hormone, you get dulled. You you don't actually feel like on top of things anymore, your your brain kind of turns into jello. And rather than actually, like um, when you're working out, your cortisol goes up too. But when you actually have too much stress cortisol, um, eventually you start to gain fat, body right. fat as well. Mm -hmm. So again, it's sort of all about the balance, about not too much, not too, not too little. I call it the Goldilocks zone, Yeah, like the three bears, not too hard, not too soft, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Okay, so... Now, let me tell you how the, all of this connects back to body fat, Right. all right? Because the, there's a couple of things that I, I think people need to understand about what body fat does. Number one, the obvious thing is body fat's a cushion. Mm -hmm. It's a cushion and it's stuffed inside us like peanuts, you know, like in a, in a FedEx container. Uh, if you're shipping some, some packages around, uh, you wanna put some peanuts in there, prevent things from rattling around or breaking. If we didn't have some body fat, inside our tube of our body that we tripped on a rug and fell our organs would burst open that's because our organs are pretty delicate yeah. so thank goodness we've got some we've got some padding second thing that um uh that fat body fat does fuel tank we talked about that a little bit mm -hmm. third thing that um body fat does and this is really quite remarkable our body fat is an organ it's an organ in the body now recognize an organ just like your pancreas, your liver, your heart, and your brain. Respect your fat because it's not just the rind at the end of, in the butcher uh, case, and it's not the thing it is, but it's, it's not the thing you see in a mirror. In the mirror, you're seeing too much of it. Mm. You want to have the healthy amount of body fat to serve hormonal purposes. So, so what are fat hormones? What are the normal fat hormones? turns out there are 15, at least 15 normal hormones made by body fat. All right. I'm not going to go through all 15 of them, but let me tell you about three of them that wind up interconnecting to behavior, which can then actually interact with cortisol and interact with thyroid. All right. So one of them is actually um, uh, called leptin. Now, you may have heard of leptin. Yeah. Leptin is sometimes referred to as a satiety hormone, meaning that it actually turns down your appetite. I want you to think about it differently. Like I like to make things easy to understand. Um, leptin is kind of like the volume switch on your radio. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it depends on how, how loud it is. So when leptin levels go down, the volume is a little bit, when you turn it to the left, the volume is a little bit louder. And so you're, you're hungrier when you turn it up. Okay. It actually, your, your appetite's a little bit less. So you eat a little bit less. All right. That's simple. So it's a volume switch. It's not an on and off switch. It's not a toggle. That's mm -hmm. a key thing here, but here's another one. Another fat hormone is called adiponectin. Adipose is actually the Greek root for fat, all right? Adipose tissue, all right? Um, and adiponectin 
happens to be a hormone made uniquely by your healthy fat. Now, if I were to, you know, if I were your doctor and I, and you guys are seeing me in my office and I said, look, let's go get some blood tests and just do a blood draw. I get one for you, Kelly, and, and one for you, Chad. And I, and I tell the lab, please measure all the hormones in the body, thyroid, cortisol, right. uh, everything. Okay. And all the fat hormones. Do you know your adipinectin, my adipinectin, if I did the test as well, would be 1,000 times higher than any other organ in your body? Wow. Mm. Why is it that high? Why is a fat hormone normally so high? And not just a little high, like three orders of magnitude higher. Okay, why 1,000 times higher? Because adipinectin made by healthy fat, which is the fuel tank, is what allows insulin to work efficiently to draw in the energy. Mm. You need a dipinectin as a hormone to allow insulin to draw in, which makes your uh, uh, metabolism more efficient. When you don't have enough dipinectin, your insulin's not that efficient. It doesn't draw in energy. Oh, you know what? You know what? What that's going to do? Well, now you got to make more insulin to see if it's going to work better. More IGF one to make more insulin. Now you want to figure a problem. So you need. That's why, that's why ultra low body fat's not good. Like those people that go like less than 5%, those bodybuilders like a real thin, yeah. not good. They don't make enough of dipinectin. Now, there, by the way, there's another hormone I want to mention. So if, if a dipinectin is the gas pedal to allow your metabolism to your, your insulin to work more efficiently, the other hormone called resistin is the brake. A dipinectin go, fast lane, resistin. Oh, the car, truck's ahead, brake resistance. So a little bit less uh, force of how the insulin actually works. Now, all of these are made by healthy amounts of fat, mm. um, just to function, just to be normal, healthy, alive. This is about energy. Right. I'm talking about having your heartbeat, having your eyes blink, just be yeah. able to you know go to the store. Now, what happens? I told you the tapestry, it's, it works like a machine, finely oiled machine, like an operating system. Here's what happens. When you actually overeat and you overeat over time or you have bad quality food and you're building up your fuel tanks and now you got more fuel tanks it's a hundred times larger than before mm. and now it's starved of blood supply and now it's inflamed and now fat is leaking out, what happens? That inflammatory state of excess body fat derails the normal healthy hormones that your fat is making. Mm. Mm. This and is a dipinectin is is goes haywire. Wait a minute. Do I want more or less? Should the insulin work better or low? I, I can't tell. It's it's so it's so inflamed around here. What about yeah. the resistant? Break on or break off? I don't know, man. It's like too much inflammation. I can't tell. Same thing as leptin. All right. Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? I don't know anymore. It's just all inflamed in here. This is actually what starts to change your behavior, right? Right. Am I hungry? Am I not hungry? And it and it completely dovetails. With your thyroid, do you have energy? Do you not have energy? Yeah. Or your cortisol, am I stressed or am I not stressed? All these things turn into a snarled traffic mess. Okay. You know, this is like a like a log jam and of the traffic when you actually have too much body fat, which is why in my book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, what I'm saying is that, look, uh, crash dieting is not good for you, okay? Weight cycling, not that good for you. Yeah. All right, eating continuously, not that good for you. But actually letting your body do its thing, get back to its operating system, controlling the amount of time you have, understanding like when your insulin's low, your metabolism shifts, when you don't eat too much, now you're not gonna overload your fuel tanks. When you actually have right healthy amounts of body fat, 
and men and women are a little bit different in terms of distribution of the amounts based on your age, then you actually be able to make all these fat hormones, which are really good for you. And then finally, one last thing that's kind of a, I think a, a, a delight and joy, kind of like the surprise and delight part about body fat that I write about is that in addition to being the cushion, in addition to being the fuel tank, in addition to being the, the endocrine organ makes hormones, your fat is a spaced heater, mm. which means that it can turn on, uh, of, uh, it can burn fuel to light on light up. Okay. When I say light up, what's the analogy I'd give, you know, like you have a gas stove in your kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to boil some water or you cook something. What do you do? You go to the handle, you go click, 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 whoosh, get a flame, right? Then you can actually cook on it. Well, that's what brown fat can do as well. Brown fat, you can actually activate brown fat. Cold temperature will do it. So if you do a cold plunge, okay, cold therapy, but foods can also activate brown fat. Now, when you activate brown fat, whoosh, like your like what's on your stove, you know what it does? It burns. Okay. And what is it burning? It's burning fuel. Where does that fuel come from? Brown fat gets that fuel to burn down from your other excess fat. First place it goes to get fuel is extra fat. All right. Mm -hmm. So you can use fat to fight fat and you can use food to activate it, which is really the cool thing. Now, one, one thing about, about brown fat I want to tell you about, um, there's two main color, my, two main types of fat in your body. There's white fat and brown fat, okay? White fat is the wiggly, jiggly, lumpy, bumpy stuff. It's under your arm. It's under your chin. It's the muffin top. It's around the thigh and the butt, okay? That's the stuff people want to shape, <laughs> right. all right? Um, uh, and, and, but that's the, actually the stuff you can see isn't the mo- most dangerous part of white fat. The most dangerous kind of white fat is found inside the tube of your body. Mm-hmm. That's called visceral fat. It's also white, but it's packed inside your body like those peanuts. Ah. Too many peanuts, not good. And this is where I'm saying that even skinny people, thin people can have too much visceral fat. Think about like if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna FedEx, you guys are gonna ship me a fluorescent light bulb, long, thin. Okay, you're gonna go to FedEx and you're gonna put in a, you're gonna ask for a thin box. And they're going to say, well, you better put some peanuts in it. And you're going to put some peanuts in there. But you know what? You got you feel like you got to use that whole bag of peanuts that you just bought. Now you're going to stuff them in, this thin box. All right? Now you've stuffed so many peanuts in, light bulbs are being crushed inside. You're going to force the, the box to be shut. And you're going to tape it shut. At arm's length, that's a skinny box still. Inside that box, those peanuts are crushing the light bulb. Mm. That's what visceral fat can do. It's highly inflammable, very dangerous, and it's linked to bad outcomes regardless of your body size. Mm. More visceral fat, more dangerous, more likely you're going to have a chronic disease. Is that what's causing ischemic heart disease and plaque in your arteries? Uh, nope. That's a, well, it's, it's related to having too much um, uh, uh, lipids. Uh, um, it is, it's a, so, I'm talking about visceral fat, like literally physical pieces of fat mm-hmm. that are found inside. Think about a baseball glove inside your body cavity, choking your organs. Gotcha. The stuff that forms um, uh, the form that fl- form that that blocks your arteries for coronary disease is more like sludge. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're to pour grease down your sink and how you'll clog up your sink that way. Mm-hmm. That's um, a different kind of fat problem. Okay. It also is accumulating fat, but it's different. Visceral fats really definitely uh harmful now uh again remember we, some fat is good it's just too much that's bad so 
here's the thing. Um, when you gain too much harmful visceral fat, do you know where's the first place that you gain it? Where's the first place in your body you're going to gain visceral fat? What do you think? Your belly, right? Your belly and your, you know, love handle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, well, listen, the, the reason you guys said that, and, and I would have said that too, is because that's what we can see. Right. right? But in right. fact, that's not where the first place visceral fat grows when you're actually gaining it, including in thin people. The first place that visceral fat grows is. Tongue. Oh, on your, your tongue. tongue. Interesting. Okay. Now here's, here's some amazing. Well, I saw that in the notes might... and I was wondering what that re referred to. <laughs> so go ahead. Well, here's something, here's something that you guys might not realize. Um, uh, uh, we've done research now to look at the anatomy of the human tongue. All right. And it turns out that there's three parts of the tongue. Uh, uh, the tip of the tongue is like Cirque du Soleil. It's actually right. ac acrobatic can do all kinds of amazing things. Middle of the tongue is muscle. And the reason it's muscle is got to move food to different parts of your body. I mean, to different parts of your mouth. Okay. Back of the tongue is like a big bean bag. Okay. Uh, it actually just helps foods fly down your gullet. And it's mostly visceral fat. Naturally, it's about a third of it. It's actually made out of fat. It's marbled like a ribeye steak. Okay. Mm. So when you actually gain extra visceral fat, the one of the first places you gain it is in the back of your tongue even thin people. Now, how do you know this? Usually it's the bed partner who basically of a thin person who's gaining weight and says, Hey, you know what? You know, you're starting to snore mm. and, they, and they'll go, Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I'm also starting to gain some weight too. And, and that's actually the, one of the, this has been studied in people in Sweden. And well, what happens is look, what happens when you're sleeping, you're totally relaxed. Okay. Mm. Um, uh, and when you're, and when you're sleeping, your tongue is also relaxed. So a fat tongue, will slide down and block your airway. Mm. You snort, <laughs> and then you start to have sleep apnea, and then you start to snore, right? All these little, again, these are some of these little nuggets yeah. that I, I, I write about that actually help people put into context Yeah, what it is they experience in their real life. Really fascinating. So what's a healthy bmi for i'm a 36 year old male and she's a 32 year old female or a range just to give people some tangible uh you know numbers to to go off of you know one of the i can cite the same things you can find on wikipedia or on yeah. dr google yeah but i'm not going to do that and i'll tell you why because anybody can look that up I'm, I, what i what i will tell you and i really really strongly believe in this is that Every individual is different. There is no okay. ideal uh, body mass index. Uh, first of all, BMI is different in Asia and Japan than it is in the United States. It's different in Europe. Europeans tend to be a little bit smaller. And by the way, there's like the sociocultural thing too. Right. What's politically correct? Well, we got bigger people in America. Well, let's just go and adjust the scale so a little higher is more normal for us. Right. But that, that still <laughs> doesn't speak to health. Right? right, that just speaks to our cultural context. Um, but there really is different body sizes. And what's something I write about in my book that I think is really important to um, emphasize is that if you look at the fittest people on the planet, mm. all you have to do is look at the Olympics. Yeah. Every four years, you see a group of people that are of different body sizes that are at the peak of fitness in their youth. Yeah. All right, you got the tiny little gymnast. You've got the lanky javelin thrower. You've got the bulky weightlifter, right? I don't know what you call the person who does the curls, um, but the, the, <laughs> yeah. but the point is that 
<laughs> Carlo, right? But but the point is that there is actually a um, there there is a gold medalist in every category who's at the top of their fitness and their their body shape and body size is different if you look at boxing there's 17 weight classes in boxing okay um and every one of those weight classes has a world champion and that's my point is that you know we have to sort of move away from this sort of one size fits all there's a numerical bracket in which if you're outside of that you know you're out you know you don't belong to the club of healthy anymore I think what we need to do is to recognize we're doing this in medicine, by the way, it's called personalized medicine, individualized medical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how your um, body uh, might respond to is different than how yours would be, Kelly. I mean, gender makes a difference. Uh, size makes a difference. Age makes a difference. If we actually looked at everybody as an individual, and I'm not being politically correct, I'm just being scientific, actually, we'll actually be able to find, given a person's background, genetics, uh, life uh, situations, you know, uh, their environment, what is actually more optimal uh, for them? So I I want people to sort of, you know, it's the same question, like, what's the optimal number of calories? Can you give us a number of calories we should be eating every day? We want to do that so badly. Okay. Like that's so such human nature, but I really do think that um, uh, we want to actually start to uh, frame things on an individualistic level and try to find out what fits the individual. I yeah. love that. I think that it, health has to be bio-individual because we all have so many different circumstances. Um, right. That said, you know, you have your book and you have your masterclass. And I think I think so many people will learn so much more than they could in this like next, you know, three minute blip of the question I'm about to ask in terms of what they can do. Um, and they should absolutely go and check those things out because if you really want to regulate your metabolism, um, you are the expert. Uh, so tell us though, if somebody wants to just get started or they want to like, even kind of get a taste of what's in your book and in your masterclass, what are the foods that they should be eating? Um, what are the thing, if there's any supplements that maybe you think that some, like everyone should be taking, um, give us a little bit of insight into that. All right, I'm going to give you a little teaser okay. on the, on the deep dive because you know, of course, I often get asked, you know, like, what are the five foods, or you know, yeah. what do you do for yourself? And I'll, I'll just kind of tell you that first of all, the research I've been doing has shown that there are more than 200 different foods that are can activate your health defenses, and there's 150 of them I write about that activate your metabolism. They burn, they light up brown fat to burn down harmful white fat. Um, they they elevate your metabolism, make your metabolism work a lot better. So rather than go through 150 of them, what are some of the ones that you know that I enjoy eating? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, oh, I can tell you, uh, avocado mm-hmm. works great. It's a great source of fiber, good for gut health, and it activates your metabolism. I love pears, a ripe, juicy pear, mm-hmm. packed with dietary fiber has a has a chemical, natural chemical called chlorogenic acid, activates brown fat. Tomato. Uh, tomatoes and uh, whether it's uh, whole tomatoes in a salad, cooked tomatoes in a sauce, or a tomato paste, mm-hmm. I like to cook. Um, uh, uh, you can actually um, you can actually eat tomatoes and they activate your brown fat. They improve your metabolism. Imagine that you can actually. By the way, to, I'm going to go back to pears for a second. You know how many pears you need to eat to shrink your waist size because you're decreasing your visceral harmful peanut fat, peanut packing fat. Okay, you can shrink your waist size. All you need is two pairs per day Wow! will actually start to make the difference. So the volume of these foods that activate your metabolism and burn body fat 
not that bad. They're not like crazy amounts of food. Um, they're, they're very reasonable. Um, oh, uh, pomegranate juice, an eight ounce uh, glass of pomegranate juice, which is two shot glasses, more or less. Okay. Not a lot because it's got a lot of sugar in it, natural sugar. Uh, but if you're normal, if you have a normal physiology, you'll be fine. When you swig that down, there's a natural chemical called elagitanins that cause your gut bacteria to grow a particular bacteria called Ackermansia, mm. Ackermansia mucinophila. Now, Ackermansia is very important because people who are lean in their body type have more Ackermansia. People who are overweight or obese have much less Ackermansia. People who have trouble with their blood sugar and insulin sensitivity have almost no Ackermansia. So Ackermansia is a guardian of your metabolism. Oh, one more kind of like a golden nugget about acromancia. Uh, in, I'm a, again, I'm a cancer researcher. When we've studied cancer patients, either a series of 100 or 200 cancer patients with melanoma, breast cancer, lung cancer, whole series of cancers, getting immune treatments, immune therapies to allow their immune systems to fight cancer. That's a game changer, okay? The people who respond to immune therapies have more acromancia than people who don't have acromancia. If you don't have acromancia, kind of you're screwed. Your yeah. immune system is not going to respond. All right. So this is a, it's kind of an example of some, what are the beverages that I uh, like to drink um, that actually help my metabolism and my health defenses? I drink tea, uh, uh, green tea. But guess what? My research shows it's not just green tea, uh, like regular green tea. You can drink matcha. Uh, oh, by the way, you can drink oolong, which is a slightly more oxidized tea. You can, you can go all the way Earl Grey, black tea with a little bergamot, if you like orange. But there's a, a surprise tea called Pu'er tea, P-U apostrophe E-R, comes from the village Pu'er in China. I've heard it of this. Out, it's like a, a metabolism boosting tea, right? Exactly, exactly. Amazing. What it does, it's, it's a fermented tea, Kelly. Mm -hmm. It's actually made and it has its own microbiome in the tea. So when you drink that tea, it's, it's known as a digestive tea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people in China who are, you know, eating, you know, rich meals or whatever, like you sip it a little bit after dinner in order to be able to help your as a digestive. Um, but what you're also doing is you're actually improving your gut health because you're drinking a probiotic tea. So tea, I drink all the time. Coffee, I like to drink in the morning. I used to live in Italy when I did a gap year before I went to medical school and I picked up this, you know, lovely caffeine coffee habit. <laughs> I'll swig yeah. down some espresso in the morning. Yeah. Um, uh, but coffee's got chlorogenic acid, which lights your metabolism. And tea has catechins, which are the polyphenols, which activate it. So basically, look, this is this is what I do in like, for example, my master classes, or you come sign up for my free newsletter, my master class is also free. I will get up there and I will actually come on and I'll talk about the latest discoveries about all these foods, what to eat, how much to eat, you know, like what it does, why it does it. You know, how do you know it's actually going to work? What's the research that, cite, that cites it? And it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, you know, anybody who wants to come on, uh, on board to check it out, just come to my website, drdrwilliamleeli.com or find me and follow me on social because I'm putting out stuff all the time. My handle is at drdrwilliamleeli. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was going to actually ask about right your in. handles and everything. One last thing that I, I wanted to say mm. that I found so fascinating was, um, a lot of the testing that I run with clients is, um, you know, I do, I'll do a gut health test, but then we'll also look at like insulin levels and things like that. And one of the things that I've found too, um, and I know there's so much research on this, but is that like 
low or like literally non-existent level of acromancia. And then people who have also this insulin resistance, um, and they have a really hard time with weight loss. And so I think that you sharing that like is, is so interesting. There's, and there, like you said, there's so many things that you can do, um, and so much more in your, in your books and all of that, that we can learn. Just some, one more thing, just to yeah. give a little couple of extra, I talked about pomegranate juice and just sort of like two shot glasses worth. Okay. That's enough to actually change your acromancia to go from zero to something. Wow. Um, uh, I had a, by the way, I had, I had a patient once who was a cancer patient, young, mm-hmm. young person who was going to get an immune therapy. And, um, she had three kids, uh, there was bronchitis running around the family that their, their local doctor just prescribed antibiotics up to yin yang mm-hmm. and she was on it. And, you know, the oncologist was just about to give her, um, the immune therapy. And I'm like, Whoa, not so fast there. Let's, mm-hmm. let's make sure we get them acromancia. So we tested it. And she had almost, she had a close to zero acromancia. And I'm like, right. you know, she's not going to respond. We got her on pomegranate juice and we, we had her drink it for three weeks. And at the end of three weeks, she had six times the amount of acromancia right. compared wow. to the general population. And when she got her immune therapy, she started responding, ultimately became a complete responder, but started responding after three weeks. So really fast response, a very wow. good outcome. And this goes to show you just how powerful our gut health Totally. Um, actually is what if you don't like pomegranate juice or can't get pomegranate juice turns out two other juices can do the same thing cranberry juice which you know arguably is harder to have if pomegranate is too sweet cranberry is a little too sour but conquered grape juice is another juice that can oh. grow acromancia constantly validates that food is medicine it really is i study food as medicine and, and yeah. to me it's a it's it's really so fun to discover new properties of, of, <clears throat> of foods. And for me, you know, like we started out talking about, you know, um, uh, the fact that people feel uh, shackled by the burden of excess weight or metabolism or diets that they have to go on and, and rotate on or rotate off of. You know, I actually think that science tells us it's time to rediscover the joy of eating. Mm-hmm. And just by choosing the right food and eating in the right ways, we can actually claim, reclaim our life back and mm-hmm. also combine it with enjoyment because, you know, we're humans eating and enjoying our food is really part of who we are. Yes. And I think we've gotten away from that and just turned into sort of, you know, get gotten into these sort of instruction sheets and automatons and we've, we've taken that away from ourselves. So it's time to actually take it back. Oh, yes. I could not agree with you more. I feel like I was actually saying that today on Instagram, I was, you know, as humans, when our, when our pleasure is up from food, we're also, you know, absorbing more nutrients and we're, you know, we're not in that stress response place and our metabolism can be fired up. And I'm sure you go into that even more in your book, but like I said, we're so grateful for your time. We know you're really busy. We will absolutely link this in the show notes, your book and your masterclass and where everyone can find you. Um, I think, People are going to get so much out of it. Like everything I learned in my childhood, it was totally flipped upside down (laughs) today. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Lee. Thank you. This was incredible. My, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. We really hope that you enjoyed that episode. You can follow me on Instagram at Wellness by Kelly. And if you're new around here, you can sign up for the WBK seven day free trial where you can get access to all of my low impact workouts, blood sugar balancing, plant-based recipes, and guided meditations all available on wellnessbykelly.com and on the WBK app. Hey, thanks for listening. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also connect with us on social media at Wellness by Kelly. Drop us a DM for who you want to hear from. 